From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. We are starting, though, taking a look at how Canadians are feeling about health care and how they feel about what quality medical care they might get or a family member if they needed it. That was the focus of a new poll. It was done by Leger. And Steve Mossop is joining us now, Executive Vice President at Leger. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Jill. It's always uh, interesting to see how people are feeling and uh, different, I think, if you've recently accessed healthcare or you've had to or a family member. What specifically were you asking people, though? It's really an update from an ongoing series of polls that we've done uh, as uh, you know, throughout the past year. And what was the striking finding for me is that the, the number of people who rate the healthcare system in their provinces, poor or very poor, has had a massive increase just in a short one-year period of time. We've got 28% who say the system is excellent or good. We've got 35% saying fair and 37% saying poor or very poor. So it's the first time that we've actually seen more people rating the system poor or poor, poor or very poor versus uh, the top ratings. Um, a marked difference, you know, 15-point difference from this time last year. Hmm. And when you look at the results, do, I know it goes into uh, different parts of the healthcare system or, or where people think that, that it's failing them. What could, well, how does that break down? It, there's a long list here, and at the top of the list is long waits. That's number one by far. Uh, but there's a feeling that the, the system is stressed and that it's failing. So we see words like stressed and failing, and it's bureaucratic, it's not accessible, it's not there when I need it. This is just a kind of an AI uh, synopsis of a lot of the single words and open ends that people use to describe the system. But the list goes on and on. It's, you know, it's not there when we need it. People are angry. They're not seeing com- compare and compassionate care. They're not seeing efficiency or equality. It's uh, quite a, a number of negative comments that people have, uh, regardless of what province they live in. And when you look at those words, and like you said, at the top of that list, things like long waits, stressed, failing, it seems like the words and what, what people are noticing and commenting on, it's not a reflection of the staff or the people working in healthcare scenarios. It, it seems like it's, it's the system that people are, are finding is failing them. It really is. And on that level, if we look at the reason behind a primary problem with the system, which is a shortage of healthcare workers, we see things like poor working conditions. We see funding cuts, low paying jobs, bureaucratic and too unionized uh, staffing issues. There is also something that popped up that I thought was interesting, which is the COVID pandemic led to many early retirements and people exiting the industry. So it does look like a systemic fail. They're not pointing it in one area, but it's certainly pointed towards the the leaders uh, of the healthcare system that are getting the brunt of the blame. And when you break the numbers down, looking uh, from province to province as well, and again, looking at uh, those, uh, the issues, again, long waits, stressed and failing, it seems like BC is kind of, kind of middle of the pack or, or, or where does BC kind of yeah, fall? Mid- middle of the pack. I was a bit surprised. I thought we'd be worse off, but the situation looks apparently a lot worse in Quebec where only 15% of the population gives the, the system a, a good rating and 51% say it's poor. Atlantic Canada is even worse off than that. Um, and then places like Ontario uh, are about middle of the road and BC actually is leaning towards more positive than there is negative, which, is, which was a bit of a surprise to me when we look at people across the country. 
And I found it interesting. So the words universal and accessible didn't fare very well. And, and if you look at the BC numbers, it's it's 18% and 11% talking about it, it being that. But then you also asked about where the Canadian government, where the federal government should prioritize when it comes to the health care system. And, and an interesting response, I thought, when we talk about the universal care and integrating, even potentially integrating private health care. Well, this is a topic that's been the sacred cow of the health care system, the Canadian system, for decades. And it's hardly ever received any traction. When we ask people what they're willing to change and what fixes that they have in place, they're generally quite reluctant to point towards any system of privatization. So we asked, we asked Canadians an overall question, and we asked them to agree with uh, the following statements. I'll read them to you. And one of them is that, do you agree that Canada should focus its efforts on our public system and limit the development of private health care so it doesn't limit access? And, and about 70% agree with that. So that's always been a fundamental tenant of Canadian views towards the system. On the other hand, we ask people to look at this statement, which is Canada should keep our public health care system but allow patients to use their own money or their extended insurance to pay for things like surgery or tests at local private clinics. However, that's gained a lot of traction. We have over 50% who, who believe that to be the case, and they agree with that. And so at that number then, 52% saying yes, that people should be allowed to use their own funds to pay for those those things that, like you said, surgeries or tests or, or diagnostics at local clinics. How does that 52% compare to, say, when you've asked that question before? Well, I don't know if you remember, I, I thought I was on your show about four or five months ago and we talked about... Um, the number of people in British Columbia that were going or would consider going out of the country to have different procedures done. And it was something around, you know, over 50% that they would give it consideration. And it was everything from about a third who said they'd go outside for dental procedures, uh, another 25% who said they'd go out for minor medical procedures, and about the same number for more cosmetic procedures. But the number overall was quite astounding. There was more than half of Canadians were willing to go outside the country. So that's one level of kind of privatization, if you will, because you have to spend money to do that. Um, but we haven't pulled a lot on it recently because it's been such a sacred thing for Canadians. We, did, we just don't get a lot of traction when we say, do you want to see uh, elements of privatization enter the system? So this is the first read that we've done in a while since that last poll. And it clearly says that there is an appetite for at least consideration, however carefully we might have to do that. Right. And I wonder, too, and, and I don't know if this is, is um, changing people's minds or, or at least opening up that conversation. But uh, as you know, here in B.C., we, we have a government that ha- is sending cancer patients to private clinics in Bellingham to help ease the stress here. So I, I'm wondering if maybe people are seeing that and, and learning more about that and thinking, well, if the, the government is doing this, then wouldn't it make sense that people could spend their money here? Uh, could and, and would that be a way? And again, nobody is saying that we want a U.S. system, but maybe opening it up or at least opening up to those ideas? Well, when the proponents of the system here actually make that recommendation and put it forward as an option, that is that is interesting, isn't it? That if they're saying it, then they're endorsing that Canadians can also feel the same way. Uh, anything else stick out to you in this survey, again, as far as uh, how people are maybe changing their minds or, or not all that confident in the system? Well, one that jumps out, and this is a, a, one of those stats that I call jump off the page, is we ask people, when they think of the healthcare system, how worried are they about not being able to get good quality attention if you and your family and or a family member needs it? And 70% say that they're worried. So imagine that, you know, 
70% are reluctant to pick up the phone and call 911 or they're reluctant to go to the ER room because of all the nightmare stories about waiting in hallways for days and, and just not getting the care they need. And that number is about average to what it is across the country. But it's a high number. It's, it's not a, a, a minimal number. It's the vast majority of Canadians are fearful that they won't even have uh, the ability to get just decent care when they go in. That is a huge number. So 70% saying they're they're worried about not getting good quality care. Uh, you also asked people to look into the future if they, not that uh, you can tell what's going to happen, but do they think things will get better? And it doesn't seem like a huge number think that things will get better. No, and that's the unfortunate part too of this poll is that uh, the number who say that it will get worse before it gets better is double. So 36% thinks, thinks it'll get worse and only 17% say it'll get better in uh, in the next two years. Interesting numbers in this poll, in this survey, for sure. Steve, we'll leave it there for today, but thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jeff. It is Wednesday afternoon, and that means it is time for us to check in with the founder of Travel Best Bets, Claire Newell. Good afternoon to you. Testing one, two, three. There you are. Claire, can you hear me? I sure can. Oh, technical difficulties. <laughs> Technology is not always our friend, but you're here now. Excellent. <laughs> we can hear each other. This is a scary story, but uh, I love that you're talking about this to ease concerns about yet another story about somebody, a passenger, trying to open an airplane door mid-flight. Yeah, so this was an incident. If you heard about it, it happened just this past Sunday, January the 21st. It was on an Air Canada flight that was leaving London Heathrow and heading to Toronto. Um, just to clarify, uh, you even if someone attempted to open a door mid-flight, it can't be done at cruising altitude. Um, this was a tougher story, though, because, you know, when you read a little bit further, you would um, you would have heard that this was an elderly male who was in a state of crisis and confusion, hmm. does not appear that his actions were intentional. I can only imagine it would be very, very frightening if you are close by and in close proximity. But um, the, the standard protocol by Air Canada is to restrain um, the person um, and the staff did that until it landed safely in Toronto. But this man, um, was there was no criminal charges, Jill. His, he and his family were actually connected with additional resources. So, yes, a scary situation, um, but in, in this case, this was there was no malice intended. That is and uh, good that he was able to get help and he and his family, but also that, uh, yeah, just uh, frightening if you were a passenger and seeing that, which is connected kind of to uh, the next story. And this yes. would be uh, odd, too, that a passenger said, oh, hold on a second, something's missing. Yeah, so this um, actually happened on January the 15th. So keep in mind that the timing on this would have been just 10 days after um, the Alaska Airlines plane lost the door. And so uh, this person who, who saw this, this was a flight, let me go back. It was a Virgin Atlantic flight that was heading from Manchester, England to New York. And it was an Airbus, so an A330, and it was cancelled before takeoff because there was a gentleman who was traveling with his wife. He was a he was a pretty um, savvy travel, not too nervous. His wife very nervous, um, but the traveler noticed four missing fasteners. Um, this was on part of the wing. He took a picture of it. You can find it on social media. He decided to alert the cabin crew. 
and he, he admitted that his fear was heightened because of the whole Alaska Airlines situation. So they decided to cancel the flight. Everyone was rebooked onto alternative flights. But what um, Virgin Atlantic came out to say is that there are these panels. They were actually secondary structures to improve the aerodynamics of the plane, not the actual wing. But uh, you know what? Mm. It still would have been scary to see. But Mm -hmm. each of these panels had 119 fasteners, of which four were missing. So there was no impact to the structural integrity or the load capacity of the wing, and it would have been absolutely safe to operate. But in an abundance of caution, and I think due to this whole Alaska Airlines situation, you know what? People are really nervous right now. And the reason I wanted to mention this story is because I don't think this is the last of it. I mean, I've sat over the wing and I've, and I, 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 over, even over the engines where you can see all the rivets and bolts and fasteners. You can see everything. And from time to time, I've noticed that there's something missing. So I don't think this is the last of people pointing out stuff. Um, but what we have to do is trust that um, the mechanics, the engineers, that they are doing their job. And I know that safety protocols are absolutely top of mind. Given the situation with the whole Alaska Alaska Airlines, people are going to be heightened. They know that their passengers are going to be as well. Um, but I just wanted to bring this up because I thought it was uh, a really interesting and timely story. Uh, definitely. And hopefully it won't lead to more flights being cancelled at the last minute when there isn't a safety issue and uh, there's not something to worry about. But you're right. Uh, my guess is as well that we're probably going to hear more people raising concerns or talking about this. Uh, but a good note is uh, that inspections have led to uh, the Boeing 737 MAX 9s back in the air. Yeah, so this is, has been a slow process. It's, you know, what day is it now today? It's the 24th, and this happened on the 5th. So we're talking almost three weeks that the planes have been grounded since this incident. FAA has uh, has inspected the first 40 of 170 jets. The vast majority of those Boeing 737 MAX 9 are with Alaska Airlines and United Airlines. So what they've done after seeing 40 of them, they've issued a new airworthiness directive. We call them ADs in the business um, that will allow most of the MAX 9s to return to service. But it really does come come with um, uh, with more. It comes with a mandatory maintenance order that the airlines will perform and they'll do that maintenance within a specified time frame. Now, keep in mind, it's not just FAA and the airlines. We're talking about NTSB being involved, um, tons of uh, the mechanics. And I think that I, 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 the one thing that I read was that Boeing was actually taking certain days where they were actually instilling this and the importance of absolutely every little detail being looked at, um, at at their factories and things. So, I mean, this is key, top of mind right now. And um, safety is first, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's uh, kind of uh, some of the safety-related stories as well. Let's take a look at some airlines that are expanding, and Lynx Air is doing that. Yeah, they're actually coming out with two flights. So the first one that will be coming out is between... Um, BC and Quebec City. So this is going to start 
June the 6th, which is great news for people giving us more options to fly from Vancouver to Quebec City. It will go six times a week. It's actually a through fare, which means that it will go via Calgary in each direction, but it will be seamless. So a single boarding pass um, and the ability to check bags if you're doing that through to the final destination. But Lynx is also expanding. And I know some um, some people who have relatives in Saskatchewan, and it's often a very expensive flight. Good news for them because Lynx will be going between Vancouver and Regina. And that's going to start on June the 20th. So these are um, both happening in June, timely, because a lot of people travel over the summer once kids get out of school. And these flights will be six times a week, and they'll operate on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. I did take a look because they came out saying, you know what, tickets are already on sale, and they're starting at $79 one way, including tax and fees, Hmm. and it's for a limited time. And there were some available. You have to be kind of flexible. Um, They're not going to last at $79 one way, but that is so cheap. If you have family um, and friends that may may happen to live in Saskatchewan, this is a, a great option for you to consider. All right, that is Lynx Air. And speaking of the numbers, uh, with international tourism, and uh, probably not a huge surprise if people have been traveling and noticing how busy it is, but on track to return to those pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, so this um, United Nations World Tourism Organization comes out with a report called the World Tourism Barometer, and it takes a look at kind of where we're at. And right now, they ended 2023, the stats show that we were at 88% of pre-pandemic levels, um, which is good news. But what they're saying is that with the remaining pent-up demand, so people who haven't done those trips that they really wanted to, haven't visited friends, family, taken bucket list trips, whatever they that pent-up demand is, as well as increased air connectivity. So more aircraft in the sky, more seats in the marketplace, plus a stronger recovery of both Asian markets and destinations. All of that combined are expected to underpin a full recovery by the end of 2024. I had thought um, from what I had been reading that it was going to be into 2025, that it would uh, take until we were fully recovered, but looks like uh, we're on track to be full recovery by the end of 2024, which is good news. All right, that is good news for sure. Uh, One other story before we get to the deals, and this one, I know we've talked about the number of incidents with passengers being unruly has gone down, and that's a good thing. This is quite a story, though, about a passenger being arrested and why he was arrested. Okay, I'm rolling my eyes. If you can't see it, you can imagine me doing it. This is a dude who his name has actually been published. I'm not going to say it. I just I just can't even go there because he was arrested after trying to join the Mile High Club. The story gets so crazy complicated because, um, first of all, it was a Spirit Airlines flight. It was going from Louisville, Kentucky to Orlando, Florida. This guy was traveling alone, Joe. He wasn't like he was with his girlfriend or his wife or partner or whatever. Hmm. He was traveling alone. And not only did he attempt to entice one female flight attendant to actually have a tryst on board in a filthy, disgusting bathroom on board a flight, but a second. So when he landed in Orlando, you know what? He there was there were police there. Uh, of course, it was so disturbing. Um, he said it was his first time on an airplane and he did several shots of alcohol, maybe liquid courage. I don't know, but the whole thing just is nasty. 
Oh, so Just many, so nasty. So many things wrong with that story. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, he had uh, admitted to it, and uh, even though he made excuses, but uh, arrested. Not to what you want when you get off of an airplane, but uh, he was arrested. Oh, no. Well, who, like, who really did? Did he think it's that easy to join the mile? Oh, I'm just going to ask any rando woman I see. Like, oh, it's just now. It's yeah. Anyone shaking my head now and rolling yeah. my eyes? Yeah, I, I can hear that <laughs> through through the microphone. Uh, let's get to some deals. What deals do you have for us today? Well, one that just landed on my desk, and I wanted to share because it often sells out. Um, it's one that's super super popular. It's one of those little coastal cruises combined with a Vegas stay. So this is a six-night Las Vegas cruise and stay. Just came out, and it's leaving on May the 5th. So you fly down to Vegas, the flight's included, two nights hotel in Vegas, then you're transferred from Vegas to the L.A. Pier, where you board a four-night cruise and sail from L.A. and walk off the ship here in Vancouver. Taxes included, as well as the airfare, the hotel, and that cruise. 1029 so 1029 so um that one won't last but people love it um the next one i've got is veradero cuba lots of people looking still for a hot spot january 30th a few dates until february the 8th so pretty soon if you want to do it but air and seven nights in a beachfront all-inclusive resort 695 the taxes of 480 so that is by far the cheapest all-inclusive that i'm seeing at the moment um do we have time for one more sure Oh, I love this one. It's a fully guided vacation of Morocco. I think you've been to Morocco, have you not? I have. I loved it. I loved it as well. So this is um, called the Grand Tour. It's um, the great itinerary, Casablanca, Rabat, Tangier, Fez, Erfoud, and, um, and Marrakesh as well. You can do this, lots of dates to choose from in 2024, March 3rd through until November the 8th. Now, certain dates are cheaper than others. But it's airfare, nine-night, guided vacation, 18 of your meals, all of the sightseeing, and the transfers, taxes included, twenty-six twenty-nine. Like, with the airfare, that's so good. Mm, that is a great deal. And what a great itinerary. So many beautiful, beautiful places to see. All right. Uh, Claire, we will leave it there. I know all of that information is on the website. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks. Bye, Jill. Well, if you've ever wondered where people buy cannabis in Surrey, the answer is they don't buy it in Surrey, at least not at legal cannabis stores, because there have not been any of those stores approved in that city. But that could all change because Surrey City Council is now, is now has now put out a survey. It is asking people if they would be okay with the approval of 12 or up to 12 cannabis stores in various neighborhoods in the city. So what might this look like and how long do people have to give their input on this? Councillor Doug Elford is joining me on the line now to talk a bit more about this. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me today, Joe. Well, we're not talking, uh, at least we're not focused on policing today for a change, but talking about a survey and people are being asked in Surrey whether they would like to see cannabis stores in that city. So what specifically is the city asking people? Well, uh, obviously, uh, we're we're looking for opinions on whether or not uh, we move forward with this framework that uh, has been presented to us by staff in regards to uh, establishing cannabis stores in Surrey, and we want to get public opinion on on uh, whether they support or not support the process or the policy, and also uh, whether or not they want stores in Surrey. And what what has been the reason then that Surrey hasn't had cannabis stores uh, at any point? 
Well, we've been dealing with other issues, <laughs> but certainly um, um, there was uh, early into 18, uh, the, the city of Surrey decided to take a step back when the legislation came in, the federal uh, legislation legalizing the sale, and allow other um, municipalities to sort of be the guinea pigs, in a sense, and and watch and see uh, what the results were uh, from these other jurisdictions establishing uh, retail cannabis stores in their cities. And, and at that point in time, we, we have now come forward with uh, a, a policy that... Uh, uh, is now um, proposing to put up to 12 stores into Surrey right now. And, and that's kind of where we're at. And so by letting other jurisdictions, places like Vancouver and such, be the guinea pigs, then does it uh, has it helped as far as if people who maybe were opposed or, or were unsure about this, have you been able to learn what's happened in those jurisdictions as far as if this does go ahead in Surrey? Well, just observing, for example, our, our neighbors, for example, um, Delta, which has nine stores, uh, they have no problems with their stores. There's there's no issues with with their establishments uh, that we we know of, and and you know Langley has established some stores, and even White Rock, I think, has three stores. So, and from what we're being told by these retailers, a lot of their um, customers are from Surrey. So it, it's it's interesting to 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 get that data, understand that data, but certainly um, it, it appears that they uh, they're at a point now where uh, it's not a problem in their communities, and and uh, from what I'm gathering, the the public opinion isn't isn't as jaded as many would suspect it would be. And what's your opinion on it? As far as do you think this would be a good thing for Surrey? Well, I know the Board of Trade supports this for from a business uh, point of view. Uh, there is, uh, and from an uh, environmental point of view, people getting in their cars and having to drive to other jurisdictions rather than walking to their uh, their store, it, it would be considered, uh, you know, a negative impact. So, uh, you know, from looking at it from different points of view, I think, you know, realistically, Jill, the mailman delivers it to your house. Mm. Right. So it's it's not like it's not available. It's just the, the convenience of being able to obtain it or, or the convenience of going into a store and getting advice on, particularly if you're looking for medicinal uh, value out of the cannabis, um, you know, what type of product you should be looking at. It, it, it provides you uh, people with a lot more information rather than buying off of the guy in the corner in the street. And so I think that's there's some pros to to the uh, you know establish a retail business in in Surrey. Uh, I know you had raised some concerns about this in the past, though uh, some earlier ideas or, or plans for this. So have have those been addressed? Well, yes, because originally the um, the original staff plan was to um, I think in my thought process was overregulate it and have it only on city owned properties. And unfortunately, uh, the properties that they were proposing that we owned, I don't think were the most ideal locations. And and the the private sector uh, approached us and said, why don't we, we didn't have any input into this. Uh, we're the ones that are established store owners and have gone through the process and the rigmarole. And from what I understand, it's quite an intense process to get even into, uh, get a license. 
and and so it, it was really it was critical for them to um, make some contributions. So we asked staff to go back and and consult with the private sector, the industry, and, and get some feedback. And as a result, this framework has been redeveloped and it's come forward to us. So if this was to go ahead, or what the, the public is being asked to weigh in on is 12 stores uh, at a maximum uh, number, and that would be in, in different communities, and two in each of the communities of Cloverdale, Fleetwood, Guilford, uh, Wally, South Surrey, and Newton? Well, it's up to two stores. Okay. So some communities may not may not have any. Some may have uh, two. Uh, it's very challenging at retail space in Surrey right now. So uh, it's it, it has to be the right location, and 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 so it's it's also a trial period as well. We've we've allowed it to, uh, to be a trial. So we'll be watching what happens, and oversee what what happens. will be um, you know obviously good neighbor agreements and and uh, agreements that the retailers must uh, adhere to. But they're all very confident there won't be any problems at these stores. Right. Uh, and you mentioned the, the Surrey Board of Trade, and I know they did put out uh, some information saying that they are they are uh, in support of this, like you said, and they're, they're welcoming the city of Surrey and taking these steps in doing this. Uh, does it make sense as well, like you said, if a lot of people from Surrey are going to neighboring communities and spending their money and taking the time to do that, uh, does it make sense then in establishing this and keeping those dollars in Surrey? Keeping the dollars in Surrey and the jobs in Surrey and the taxes as well in Surrey, I think it is, is it makes sense. Again, it is legal. Uh, there is there's stores established all around our borders. The busiest store in British Columbia, one of the busiest stores, is on the Scott Road border. So what does that tell you? It tells you that everybody in Surrey is going over to to purchase, and and it's it's very obvious there's a demand. And 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 we it kind of coincides with some of our 15-minute cities where you you don't get in your car to go get milk. You know, if you can walk to your your convenience, that's that's really relatively important. People out of their vehicle as well. So there there's there's positives all over on this one. Have you had any input, or were there any concerns from? Uh, I suppose it would be the RCMP or the the Surrey Police Service at this point. While we're still waiting to see what happens there, but has there been any input from law enforcement? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Um, that's a good question. You might want to ask them yourself. Um, I I do know that you know the the question in regards to the pros of cannabis or that. It reduces the, uh, I'm going to call it the gray market now, the black gray market that's out there in terms of, of um, you know, transactions for, for, for uh, cannabis, right? Right. And, and some will argue that this has resulted in, you know, some, some challenges uh, amongst our gangs in the community. Now, I don't know how active cannabis is now in the, in the, in the industry, but I, I assume it, there's, you know, there is a, an opportunity for a contribution to the gang activity, which any reduction in gang activity is, is a positive as far as I'm concerned, particularly with what's going on nowadays, right? Right. All right. So this is open then. People can have their say in this survey until February 5th. When do you anticipate there might be a decision on this? I'm assuming that it's going to be uh, probably in the spring once we get to the budget process. Uh, I'm hopeful before the summer. Uh, there's there's a lot of anxious retailers out there right now, and 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 this is um, 
uh, something that I think uh, really we could be addressing very soon. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining the show and for talking more about this today. Thanks for having me, Jill. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening. 